Hello. Today, Third Flatiron is happy to present its latest sci-fi podcast from Boulder, Colorado and Air Scotland. Recent college graduate Jerry Patel wants to manage a motel like his immigrant father. He and his boyfriend Peter visit one that's listed for sale. But the Chicken Monster Motel is no ordinary hostelry. It's the family property of the famous witch Baba Yaga from Slavic folklore. Kayan Bowes is a peripatetic writer of science fiction and fantasy based in San Francisco. She has lived in nine cities in seven countries and visited many more. She's had stories appearing in Expanded Horizons and Daily Science Fiction. To find out more about Kayan's work, see the interview posted along with this podcast and visit her website at kayanbowes.com. This story first appeared in Third Flatiron's sci-fi anthology entitled Monstrosities. For more podcasts from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our feed. And now, buckle up for a magical ride aboard the Chicken Monster Motel, read by Katie Rude. It's my birthright, says Jerry, unloading his mom's India Market groceries onto the counter. Everyone knows about motels and patels. Motel, patel, they go together. He pronounces patel the American way, pat-el, instead of the Gujarati way, p-tail. His father frowns. We want a different life for you, Jairam, he says firmly. Your expensive education is for what? The patels had run three different motels eventually cashing out before Jerry went to college. You think motel goes with Patel? Doctor goes even better. Google Dr. Patel. You'll get 82 million hits, including your cousin Leela. Papa, I just graduated. I don't want to go to med school. I didn't even write my MCAT. Then you should write it, his father storms out. I hate exams, Jerry shouts after him. Later, his mother hands him a jewelry box. Jeru, son, if that's what you really want, sell these, give it a try. I have faith in you. What? Seriously? Jerry opens the box to find twelve diamond-studded gold bangles. Two have elephant heads with emerald eyes. He's seen these on his mother's wrist at his cousin's wedding. They're handed down to his mother by her mother and her mother before. Ma, you can't. Take it, son. In this country, where will I wear this kind of jewelry? She looks at him seriously. Running a motel is a lot of work, but a young man should work hard. The Motel on Craigslist Hey, Peter! Jerry's looking at Craigslist. Here's a motel. It's even got a cafe. Up in the mountains. We could do a road trip. What? Peter says. Dude, you haven't even got the jewelry appraised yet. He reads over Jerry's shoulder. Weird name. Chicken Monster Motel. Gotta start looking, right? Let's go to a Starbucks and plan the road trip. Jerry dumps his mug in the sink. Ten minutes to pack. Plan a road trip, you said. Jerry drops a kiss on Peter's neck. It leads to one thing and another, and takes more than ten minutes. But the packing doesn't. Toothbrush, smartphone, clean t-shirts, socks, and boxers. Don't leave the jewelry behind in the empty apartment, Peter says. And I'll drive. I don't want gray hair before I'm 30. Slow season at the Chicken Monster Motel. Finally! There it is! 
Jerry accelerates wildly around the curving mountain road. He's driving after all, and they're both frazzled. The motel is perched in an unlikely spot on a cliff above them. Jerry brightens. Bet it has terrific views. Hope it has cold beer, Peter says. Jerry blows him a kiss. Yeah. The Chicken Monster Motel is clearly having a slow season. Peter's Honda is the only car there. The manager, a young woman who snaps her gum and ends all her sentences with question marks, tells him to pull into the garage underneath the building. Then it's a hot shower, cold beer, and surprisingly good beef sandwiches on the house. Jairam's parents would be horrified that he's not vegetarian, so he hasn't mentioned it. Though he's devoted to them, there's a lot he hasn't said. No point upsetting them. Jerry likes what he sees. Maybe he can get a really good price on the motel, since it's so remote. It's clean and in good condition, with neutral walls and industrial carpet. The manager says it has 40 rooms, a lounge with a commercial kitchen, and a small owner's apartment. Peter and Jerry settle into a big, fake leather armchair beside a window overlooking a gorge. River sounds drift up. Your idea wasn't so dumbass, Peter acknowledges. Jerry takes a contented swig from the beer bottle. The sky behind the mountains is turning from pink to purple when the building shakes. Earthquake, he tells Peter. Feel that? Here? No way. Which fault? The manager pops her head in. Can you, like, fasten your seatbelts? We're just warming up now and waiting for full dark. Hey, wait, says Jerry. What seatbelts? Why? Like, on your seats? Maybe you're sitting on them? The manager snaps her chewing gum. I gotta see your car secured, you know? The door clicks shut behind her. I've never heard of seatbelts for earthquakes, Jerry says. They told us, duck and cover. But she seemed pretty positive, and there are seatbelts. Peter fastens his. The manager runs in again, rushes to the window and closes it. Uh-oh, nearly forgot. Creates too much drag, you know? She rushes out before they can ask her anything. Drag? In an earthquake? What? The building shakes again. The floor actually seems to tip. Jerry expects the chairs to slide, but they're bolted to the floor. Put on your seatbelt, Peter says. Don't be an idiot. She knows something. Jerry opens his mouth to retort when Peter says, Oh. My. God. What's that? That is a pair of huge wings that appear on either side of the motel, visible through the lounge's wall of windows. They look more like the wings of eagles than of airplanes, but the feathers seem metallic, like they might be made of aluminum alloys. The motel gives an experimental flap or two, and then rises from the cliff edge into the nearly dark sky. Peter gasps. What the? Jerry exclaims. His dream motel climbs in a large spiral, bumping through turbulence from the wind currents blowing up the gorge. So much for a really good price. What's going on? Where's the manager? They stagger to the door. It's locked. The motel lurches. I am going to throw up, says Jerry. Do they have barf bags? Peter hands him the waste bin. They yell for the manager, but she doesn't show. Now what? The motel flaps onward through the night. Eventually, they fall asleep in their chairs. Where's the beef? The motel makes a surprisingly gentle landing in a cow pasture, especially considering it lands on one of the cows. When Jerry and Peter recover, the door is open. Outside, they find the manager butchering the animal in the early morning light. Good catch today, she tells them cheerily. 
Won't the farmer be mad about the cow? Nah, it's included in the landing rights. She loads a large piece of cow onto a hand truck. Yuck, says Peter, but he goes forward to help. Jerry feels sick to his stomach. He eats beef just fine, despite his parents' beliefs, but dragging around bleeding bits of carcass, it's too much. Over breakfast, the manager introduces herself. Her name is Molly Aga Smith, and she inherited the motel from her mother. I'm sorry for your loss, Peter says politely. Oh, she's alive. She just pretended to die. She got bored and decided to travel. I think she's in Kazakhstan this week. I get random messages from her. Ah, hmm. Jerry has no idea what to say. He helps carry the dishes into the kitchen and takes a closer look at the stainless steel appliances. High-end, well-maintained. So why do you want to sell? Peter asks Malayaga. It's not my kind of life, this motel management. Don't get to meet people, you know? I mean, they're all just passing through. I'm young, I'm single, I want to pay off my student loans, go to New York, get a studio apartment and a proper job. I'll sell at any reasonable price. Awesome, says Jerry, excited. We haven't even seen the financials, objects Peter. You're jumping the gun, dumbass. Did you notice we're the only guests here? I have all the details in quack books, says Malayaga. Last year's audited numbers, also route maps and clearances and rights and stuff. She gestures at a desk in a glassed-in cubicle. It's all there. I'll pull it out. No point wasting time with the financials, stupid, unless we're interested in the deal. We? asks Peter slowly. Yes, says Jerry impatiently. We? Aren't you coming? Look, she wants us in the cubicle. They pore over the details. The Chicken Monster Motel actually has a high occupancy rate. The customers paid in a variety of currencies, including old Roman silver, Mughal coinage, golden eggs, singing harps, and jeweled mechanical birds. Her spreadsheet meticulously converted them into U.S. dollars as of the transaction date. Malayaga is happy to accept Jerry's bangles as payment. She's accustomed to accepting payments that aren't in dollars. There's some kind of valuation and validation routine. But you gotta be sure, you know, Malayaga says. You can't change your mind after it's done. The Mattel only moves forward. Jury, says Peter. Do you even know how to run a flying motel? At a profit? Jerry laughs. We'll learn as we go along. I don't even know how to run a grounded motel. Do you? Peter shakes his head. Me? Writing code, remember? He pauses. Do we have Wi-Fi? Malayaga nods. Permanent Wi-Fi and cellular. It's kind of built into the motel. It always gets a good signal. That clinches it. Okay, says Peter. I can write code in the sky. I'm down with this. This will be awesome, says Jerry. A flying motel. Jerry hands the bangles to Malayaga like the treasure they are. She puts them in a drawer that slides open, then automatically slams shut. Jerry looks concerned. Nah, it's okay says Malayaga. The motel values, converts, and shunts it to my account. That should be paying off my student loans, like, right now. They shake hands on the deal. I'll show you how it operates, she says. It's, you know, intuitive. Language of the heart. The control room door won't open. Malayaga makes crooning sounds in a mysterious language as she tries the knob. The glass door remains immovable. Do you have a key? Peter asks. 
There's no keyhole, stupid, says Jerry. Maybe it's jammed. Do you have some WD-40? What language were the words you said? Peter asks Maliaga. Finnish, she replies. But Russian works, too. Wait, I need to learn Russian or Finnish so I can command this motel, asks Jerry. He sucks at languages, says Peter. It's sort of communicate, not command. Yeah, okay, so do I? Asks Jerry. Can you just talk English? Asks Peter. Maybe, says Malayaga. They all look at the recalcitrant door. The only sound is the snapping of chewing gum. What were you saying, anyways? Open sesame, says Malayaga. Open sesame? In Finnish? That's from Arabian Nights, not anything Finnish or Russian. Yeah, says Malayaga, sounding baffled. So? They take turns whispering, shouting, and singing open sesame. By the time Peter's doing it like phone sex, Jerry can no longer listen. Why'd you pick Finnish? He asks Malayaga. It's gotta be like a language of the heart. Peter's seductive voice isn't getting anywhere with the door, but he is having an effect on Jerry. He focuses on what Malayaga is saying. A language of the heart? Like Peter's doing right now. Malayaga shakes her head. You know when a baby gives back love? Like they're one or two years old and they have some words to say? The language they learn then, that's a language of the heart. Wait, what? Don't babies speak English? This baby didn't, Malayaga said, pointing to herself. Oh, mother tongue. You mean your mother tongue. Maybe? So why isn't it working for Peter? Why isn't it working for me, says Malayaga. Maybe the motel isn't mine anymore, but it's not yours yet. She looks worried. That's kind of not good. Maybe dangerous. Oh, great. A Ronin motel. It's Peter who says, So what language did you learn then? Gujarati or some other kind of Indian? I don't know, says Jerry. Gujarati, Hindi, and Indian is not a language, stupid. I didn't say it was, dumbass. I know India's got a bunch of languages, and Gujarati's just one. I was born in Mumbai. It could have been anything. Gujarati, Hindi, Maharathi. Anyway, I forgot them all. Oh, call your mom. Jairam calls home. But it's his father who picks up the phone, and he is furious. I can't stop your mother from giving you her jewelry, but she always was too soft with you. All these years I've worked for the sake of this family. Wanted to make you a doctor, or at least a dentist. Now what? You're going backwards. Papa says Jerry, trying to get a word in. What do you know about motels? His father asks. Jerry hopes he won't have to answer too many questions when he admits he's bought the motel. He's looked at the numbers. What else should he know about? Structural integrity? Foundation work? No, probably not that. Not termite inspections, either. Anyway, it's all up in the air. Well, not literally. Until the motel gives him access. He doesn't want to admit that to his dad, either. He can imagine him yelling. You bought a mobile home as a motel, and you don't have the keys. You can't get in. What useless thing have you done with your mother's jewelry? Not that his father lets him say anything at all. Do you know how much work it is to run a motel? How difficult it is to make a profit? Do you know how to buy a business or a building? You're just being foolish, and your mother is encouraging you. His father slams down the old-fashioned landline phone with an audible thunk. 
Peter eyes him unsympathetically. You should get your mom a cell phone, dumbass, he says. She has one. A smartphone with email and apps and everything. It's usually turned off. They like me to call the landline. Tyram tries his mom's cell phone, but she doesn't answer. He leaves a desperate message. No treasure, no motel, no chance. Jerry sinks back on the sofa in the motel lounge, staring out at the sunset and the unperturbed cows. The motel's still not responding. Maliaga's voice has gone from crooning to pleading, but the door remains shut. The transaction is irreversible, the precious bangles gone to pay off Maliaga's student debt. All Jerry has to show for his mother's faith in him is an uncooperative flying motel. Peter massages his shoulders. I'm going to help Maliaga, he says. Maybe we should kick the door down? Maliaga looks horrified. You'd be so dead, she says. I mean, like, literally. Don't play games with the motel. Dead? asks Peter. What? How dangerous is this? It's a monster, says Maliaga, sounding miserable. If it goes feral and starts flying without a flight plan... Jerry's imagination completes the sentence in terrifying ways. What would happen if the motel started flying barrel rolls, or wandering off in random directions? Did it even need to stay in this world? Would it migrate, or search for others of its kind? Would it care, even realize it had guests aboard? Maybe we should leave, you know? Maliaga says. While we can. I'll pack my bag. Your car got gas? She disappears into the hallway, reappearing in minutes with a suitcase. Come on! she says. Wait, says Jerry. Are we just going to abandon it? What happens next? We'll figure that out, she says. First, let's go. Wait, says Peter suspiciously. You got Jerry's treasure. Now you can't control the motel? Maybe we all leave, and later you just call it to come get you. It's seriously not a trick. Come on. But it's too late. The door locks. The motel lurches into the darkening sky. Maliaga falls into an armchair. Fasten your seatbelts, she says quietly. Peter turns pale, and Jerry swears under his breath. Mama ex machina. Fortunately, except for some jolting due to air pockets or willfulness, the motel flies quite steadily through the night. By dawn, they make a rough touchdown in a deserted field, with no people or cows. Where are we? asks Jerry. Maliaga looks out the window and shrugs. We'll find out when the doors open, and then we'll leave. Leave? Look, we're still alive. I'm not leaving. Jerry, says Peter, we don't know what it'll do tonight. We can't stay. Jerry shakes his head stubbornly. I'm not giving up on my dream. Peter looks somber. Then I'll stay too. Jerry calls home again, dreading another confrontation with his dad. The line is dead. Did Papa deliberately keep the phone off the hook? He'd been mad enough. Jerry's leaving another desperate message on his mother's cell phone when the phone rings in his hand. Jeru, I found a message on my phone. Mom? Thank you, Ma. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He explains the problem. I see. You already bought a motel. Here is what you must say. Kulja Simsim. Kulja Simsim? Maliaga catches his eye and points at the control room door. It's swinging open. They all cheer. It opened. Good, says Mrs. Patel. Now go put some sandalwood paste on its forehead. Mom, 
I don't have any sandalwood, and it doesn't have a forehead. It's a flying motel. Why are we putting sandalwood on it? It's auspicious. Any good Indian store will have sandalwood. She pauses. The jewelry box. I keep a little bit in there. Maliaga brings it over. Sure enough, they find a tiny baggie under the red velvet lining. Good, his mother says. I'm just now saying a small prayer to Sri Ganesh. We should invoke him before any project. I thought I taught you that much. He's Vigashnwara, the remover of obstacles. Jerry smudges some of the fragrant paste on the control panel. He hopes it won't short-circuit anything. Hey, Peter? Thanks. What for, dumbass? I didn't do anything. You stuck with me. You were possibly going to die. Yeah. I'm not leaving you to die alone. Your parents would kill me. Jerry drops to one knee, pulling a ring from his pocket. This was going to be romantic, not just randomly in a flying motel. But Peter, will you stick with me forever? Will you marry me? Peter gulps and nods. Yeah. Someone has to keep you out of trouble, or at least keep you company. He pulls Jerry to his feet and hugs him. Ah, says Malayaga. You know, I think this motel's liking you guys already. Jerry blushes. Our first home as a married couple, he says. Congratulations, Malayaga says, pulling out a bottle of champagne. Drop me off in New York tonight? I've already packed. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.